This evening's reading is Psalm 102 and can be found on page 604 in the Pew Bibles. That's Psalm 102 on page 604. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry for help come to you. Do not hide your face from me when I am in distress. Turn your ear to me when I call. Answer me quickly. For my days vanish like smoke. My bones burn like glowing embers. My heart is blighted and withered like grass. I forget to eat my food. Because of my loud groaning, I am reduced to skin and bones. I am like a desert owl, like an owl among the ruins. I lie awake. I have become like a bird alone on a roof. All day long, my enemies taunt me. Those who rail against me use my name as a curse. For I eat ashes as my food and mingle my drink with tears. Because of your great wrath, for you have taken me up and thrown me aside. My days are like the evening shadow. I wither away like grass. But you, O Lord, sit enthroned forever. Your renown endures through all generations. You will arise and have compassion on Zion. For it is time to show favour to her. The appointed time has come. For her stones are dear to your servants. Her very dust moves them to pity. The nations will fear the name of the Lord. All the kings of the earth will revere your glory. For the Lord will rebuild Zion and appear in his glory. He will respond to the prayer of the destitute. He will not despise their plea. Let this be written for a future generation, that a people not yet created may praise the Lord. The Lord looked down from his sanctuary on high. From heaven he viewed the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners and release those condemned to death. So the name of the Lord will be declared in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem when the peoples and the kingdoms assemble to worship the Lord. In the course of my life, he broke my strength. He cut short my days. So I said, do not take me away, O my God, in the midst of my days. Your years go on through all generations. In the beginning, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like clothing, you will change them and they will be discarded, but you remain the same and your years will never end. The children of your servants will live in your presence. Their descendants will be established before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
So let's pray together. And we pray with another psalmist, and we pray, O Lord, um, open our eyes that we may see wonderful things in your law, in the Bible, in this psalm. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're, a, if you're a Christian, does God sometimes seem distant? Does God sometimes seem remote, as if he doesn't, as if you doubt if he cares, or you even wonder if he's real? And it's an experience that's uh, shared by many of us at times. And if you feel like that, then you're not alone. Though it can be hard to admit that if we think that as Christians we should always be full of joy and generally on top of the world. We may pretend it doesn't happen to us because we think it's not supposed to happen to us. But underneath we feel hopeless and perhaps guilty for feeling like that. Throughout history, many uh, prominent, many well-known Christians have struggled with this. So the Puritans referred to a thing called the dark night of the soul or spiritual desertion. And all sorts of people like Luther and Spurgeon and C.S. Lewis, they all had times of doubt and dryness. And the Psalms too uh, record the honest feelings of their authors. People in the Psalms say, you know, really what they feel. They're not, they're not just saying things because they think they're supposed to say that, they're saying they're being honest. They're being honest with God and their fellows. And so today we're going to look at this psalm, Psalm 102, which as we can see from the heading, which is there before the start of verse 1, we can see it says it's a prayer of an afflicted man when he is faint and pours out his lament before the Lord. Or as the heading in the ESV, the English Standard Version says, a prayer of one afflicted when he is faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. So it's either a lament or complaint. We can think of it as both. And the first two verses help to set the scene further. So let's just read those verses again. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry for help come to you. Do not hide your face from me when I am in distress. Turn your ear to me when I call. Answer me quickly. The psalmist is, is crying to God for help. It seems to him as if God has turned away from him. He's in trouble, he's in distress, and it feels as though God is hiding, as God is not listening. And so he pleads, don't hide your face from me. Please look at me. Please listen to me. Please answer me. And so we then move on to the next. We think about, well, why is he in so much distress? What's the reason for it? Well, we're going to look at verses 3 to 11, and we'll see there a description of the frailty and the transience of, of life. So let's read those verses again. For my days vanish like smoke, my bones burn like glowing embers, my heart is blighted and withered like grass. I forget to eat my food. Because of my loud groaning, I'm reduced to skin and bones. I'm like a desert owl, like an owl among the ruins. I lie awake. I've become like a bird alone on a roof. All day long, my enemies taunt me. Those who rail against me use my name as a curse, for I eat ashes as my food and mingle my drink with tears because of your great wrath, for you have taken me up and thrown me aside. My days are like the evening shadow. I wither away like grass. So as we read those verses, there's a huge, there's a whole sequence of troubles there, isn't there? A variety, all sorts of reasons for his distress. Different, all sorts of different situations that have completely engulfed him. So he's aware there in verse 3, he's aware of the 
transience of life. He says, my days vanish like smoke. But then perhaps he's suffering from some chronic or long-term illness. He says, my bones burn like glowing embers. Or it could be perhaps a sudden illness. In verse 4, my heart is blighted and withered like grass. Or as in the ESV, my heart is struck down like grass and has withered. Made me think of someone having a heart attack suddenly. But perhaps it's worry or disappointment. And that's what's taken away his appetite, because he says he forgets to eat his food. And then that just goes on to lead to further illness, so that he says, I'm reduced to skin and bones. And then in verses 6 and 7, we see that he's lonely. He feels all alone. And at night, he just tosses and turns and just can't get to sleep, worrying. And then even worse, in verse 8, we see that he's ridiculed by other people, or he thinks other people are ridiculing him, making jokes about him. He's facing opposition or even persecution. And then in verse 9, we see that he feels very sad. His sorrow is reflected in his description of eating ashes as my food and mingling tears with my drink. He's in mourning, and this sorrow... As we look on into verse 10, it seems to be connected with his awareness of God's wrath and the feeling of being thrown aside by God. It doesn't seem to be any suggestion that he's done anything wrong of any specific wrongdoing to merit this feeling of being thrown aside by God. So we could contrast this psalm with, say, Psalm 51, where David is confessing a very specific sin, confessing his adultery with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband Uriah, And in that psalm, David prays, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. In that psalm, Psalm 51, David had good reason to feel that God might throw him aside, that God might cast him from God's presence. But here in Psalm 102, we haven't got any evidence for anything like that, just a feeling by the author that he's being thrown aside by God. And then in verse 11 again, there's the recognition of the transience of life. It could be an awareness of the effects of old age, though if we look further into the psalm, in the context of the psalm, the writer In fact, feels, we'll see as we come to verse 23 and 24, that he's had his life cut short in the middle of his life. He hasn't even got to old age. So there are all sorts, a huge collection of things that, or situations that could cause distress. All sorts of areas in which the psalmist may have felt that God was ignoring him and leading him to feel, being, leading him to this feeling of being deserted by God. And for us, it may be any of those things that can lead us to feel distant from God. They might be a trigger, though, of course, we can also know God's help and comfort when these things happen to us. So it's not inevitable that when we're ill or when we feel ridiculed, when we're worrying or when we're mourning, it's not inevitable that we'll feel as though God is distant from us. But for some of us, that will happen Unlike this psalm, we may, it may be that we're also that we're conscious of our wrongdoing, and because of that, God feels distant. But of course, none of these things, none of them may apply, but we just experience this crisis of faith 
And despite having been faithful children of God, we experience circumstances that make us wonder if God has abandoned us. So, does this psalm provide any solutions to this dilemma? Well, there are two further sections to the psalm. There's verses that we're going to look at in turn, verses 12 to 22 and then 23 to 28. But they seem to only provide an answer a long way off in the future. We'll look first at verses 12 to 22, but if we just glance a moment to verses 23 and 24, let me read those. In the course of my life, you broke my strength. He cut short my days. So I said, do not take me away, O my God. In the midst of my days, your years go on through all generations. So we can see there that even after bits we're going to look at in a moment, the problem is still there. The psalmist still is pleading with God not to take him away when he's in the course or the middle or the, or the prime of his life. And perhaps it's important to say at this point that there isn't a simple solution or a straightforward um, formula to this problem of spiritual desertion, this problem of God sometimes seeming distant. So we need to be very careful that we don't have pat answers or simplistic solutions, to, because if, if we thought that there were, and particularly if we then try to use those to help other people who at that moment are feeling distant from God, well, that may be less far from helpful. But let's have a look and see how this psalm continues. So how does the psalmist respond? He's, he's done in verses in 3 to 11, he's had this huge list of problems and concerns. And he's talked there all about himself. It's all about him, all his problems. And then now he talks about God. The contrast couldn't be, couldn't be greater. So having talked about himself, he now says, God, God is sovereign. God's in control. God is eternal. He talks about God who's compassionate, about a God who answers prayer, about a God who brings freedom and release, and about a God who's unchanging. So as we look at this, this middle section, 12 to uh, 22, just divide that up into th itself into three sections. So first of all, he talks about, in verses 12 to 14, that the time has come, or the appointed time has come. Let's just read those verses again. Verse 12, but you, O Lord, sit enthroned forever. Your renown endures through all generations. You will arise and have compassion on Zion, for it's time to show favor to her. The appointed time has come, for her stones are dear to your servants. Her very dust moves them to pity. So the verses are saying the time has come to rescue, to restore Zion. In the Old Testament, there were two particular times of rescue and restoration. So the people of Israel were rescued from Egypt at the time of the Exodus, and then much later after the exile to Babylon, there was a return to Jerusalem and a rebuilding of the walls of the city, though not at that point of the temple. And in each case, in these two cases, of the, of the Exodus from Egypt and the, uh, and the return from the exile in Babylon, in each case, it was God's compassion that was seen. So as it says in verse 13, you will arise and have compassion. It was God who had compassion, God who initiated things. It was God who initiated the rescue. He, he was the one who called Moses and equipped him and Aaron to lead the people out of Egypt. And in the exile, it was God at the time of that exile who moved the Persian rulers to allow the return of the exiles. 
And in, as we read elsewhere in the Old Testament, God understood the longings and the concerns of the people who, like Nehemiah, lamented over the state of the city of Jerusalem. But then in verses 15 to 17, we see some of the effect of the rebuilding of Zion, as it talks about it here. So let's read those verses. The nations will fear the name of the Lord. All the kings of the earth will revere your glory. For the Lord will rebuild Zion and appear in his glory. He will respond to the prayer of the destitute. He will not despise their plea. So the effect of this rebuilding of whatever we want to think about that, of the return from the ex from, from Egypt or the return from exile, whatever it's referring to, the effect is that God is honored even more. His greatness and his glory become more apparent, it says here in these verses. And yet, despite this, the writer can also add that God responds to the prayer of the destitute, this wonderful, this magnificent God who's going to get even greater prominence in the eyes of the other nations He's still concerned about the needs of the destitute, and that includes those who feel that God is far from them. But then in verses 18 to 22, we see also that the psalmist wants people to remember the true source of this rescue. Let's read those verses. Verse 18, let this be written for a future generation, that a people not yet created may praise the Lord. The Lord looked down from his sanctuary on high. From heaven he viewed the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners and release those condemned to death. So the name of the Lord will be declared in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem when the peoples and the kingdoms assemble to worship the Lord. Just in case in the future people may think that they'd achieved uh, the rebuilding or the return by their own efforts, the instruction is here to write it down and record it for generations to come. The, the reference here to the Lord looking down and hearing the groan of the prisoners and bringing release is reminiscent of what happened at the Exodus. So in Exodus chapter 3 we read, The Lord said, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in, e in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I'm concerned about their suffering, so I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land. And the psalmist's wish for this to be written down is an important theme uh, throughout the Bible. Remembering who God is and uh, what he's done is so important, so vital. The people of Israel were given various instructions, um, for example, through Moses to help them to remember not least the Passover, when they recalled God's rescue of them from Egypt, from slavery in Egypt. There are other psalms, there are lots of psalms that refer to telling the next generation. So, for example, Psalm 48, verses 12 and 13. Walk about Zion, go round her, count her towers, consider her ramparts, view her citadels, that you may tell of them to the next generation. Or Psalm 78, verses 4 and 6. We will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation so that the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they, in turn, would tell their children. And it's a theme that uh, continues in the New Testament. So in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, we read, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance 
and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So in this middle section from verses 12 to 22 of the psalm, we've seen that at the appointed time, God has come to restore Zion. And the effect of that is that the Lord is highly honored in the eyes of the surrounding nations. His glory is revealed. And there's a recognition of the need to remember, to record, and to pass on this wonderful news. So before we come to uh, the last section of the psalm, is it all sorted? Is the question that we started with, is that all sorted? Is the psalmist sure now that God is not hiding from him? Is he now convinced that God is not distant from him? Well, not quite. Yes, he knows that God is compassionate. He knows that God answers prayer. He knows that God brings freedom and release. And he knows that he's an unchanging, eternal God. But all this stuff in the middle section still feels as though it's way in the future. Yes, God does. He knows God sits enthroned forever. But all the things that he's talking about, they're all things that are going to happen off in the future. They're not happening now. The situation he's described in the first part of the psalm and the first section, there are things that are happening now, that's now. But all this stuff, that's, that's to come. And indeed, as we've already seen, when we come to verses 23 and 24, we see that he still feels that he's in a bad situation. Unexpectedly, in the middle of his life, things are going wrong. And he even feels that it's God who's cut short his days. So hence his plea again in verse 24, do not... Take me away, O God, in the midst of my days. But then he contrasts in this final section with God who's unchanging. So let's just read verses 25 to 27. In the beginning you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like clothing you will change them, and they'll be discarded but you remain the same, and your years will never end. So he contrasts with God, who's unchanging. God is unchanging even when, even when his creation is changing. Even creation will wear out, like clothing, it says. You will change them, and they'll be discarded. The psalmist's days will be cut short. Creation will wear out, but God stays the same. And when we come eventually to verse 28, there is hope for God's children. Their future is secure. But before we come back to have one more look at the whole psalm, let's try to see at this point what we can learn so far from this psalm. And we have to say there isn't an easy answer to the problem of God seeming distant. We get the feeling that the psalmist has made some progress from where he started, but he still struggles with his situation. And if we're honest, that's right, isn't it? There are no quick solutions or answers we can take for ourselves or that we can use to help others who are doubting God's nearness. But there are pointers to help. So first of all, we need to be realistic about problems and we need to take seriously issues of illness, of loneliness, of grief, of aging, of worrying. And we need to be prepared for those problems to arise. We need to expect that they may come. They will come, and we shouldn't be surprised if they do, as if we thought that nothing difficult would ever happen to us. 
And we also need to be working out how we can best offer practical help to others when they're in need with these particular issues. But then we also need to remember who God is. Just thinking back and remembering how great and compassionate God is, that is something that we have to keep on doing. That's why we've got the Bible, so that we can be reminded of the great great love of God for us. We meet together with each other, with fellow Christian believers, that's important. And we can also remember, we can look back and remember how God has helped us in our life in the past, even if he seems distant at the moment. Remembering the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus in our place as we celebrate the Lord's Supper is important. And at times of dryness or doubt, these things may not be very easy. Um, and they don't, certainly they don't magically restore our faith, but we need to keep at them. We need to keep doing them. We need to keep meeting together. We need to keep remembering Jesus' death for us. We need to keep trying to read the Bible. We need to keep trying to pray, even if it's just crying out in lament or complaint to God, like the psalmist, we need to keep doing it. And in time, restoration and hope will return, although it may seem as if it's miles away in the future. But let's go back to the psalm and just have another quick look at it. If you have a Bible, which we don't, our church Bibles here don't do that, but if you had a Bible that has cross-references in it, then you'd see that verses 25 to 27 are quoted in Hebrews in chapter 1. So I'd like you just to turn to that. Keep a finger in Psalms. It was going back there. But if you'd like to turn to Hebrews, which is on page 1201. So Hebrews chapter 1. And we're going to see that this psalm is quoted there. So Hebrews starts off, the start of Hebrews chapter 1, it starts off by talking about Jesus, God's Son, whom through whom God has now spoken. So I'm just going to read the first three verses of Hebrews chapter 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word, After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So the writer's starting off by talking about Jesus, the Son, the Messiah. And then he goes on to, as you'll see if you just glance down, there are various quotations from the Old Testament. And he uses these all, and he says, he's in effect saying, these are all quotations which in the Old Testament were referring to the Messiah, referring to Jesus. So if you look, for example, at verse 8, he says, but about the Son, he says, and then he goes on your throne, quoting from another passage. And then in verse 10, he also says, so again, saying, God is saying, and then we read there about Jesus, in the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment they will be changed, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. So going back to Psalm 102, what seemed to us in verses verses 25 to 27 of that psalm 
like the writer talking about God, the writer to the Hebrews says, it's actually a passage about the Messiah, with God the Father addressing the Son, addressing the Lord Jesus. In our NIVs, we have a quotation from verse 24, and it doesn't end till 28, till verse 28. In the ESV Bible, the quotations are just for verse 24, um, rather than continuing right through to the end of 28. And it makes it clearer that the psalmist is speaking in verse 24, but God the Father from verse 25. When we realize that, this is about Jesus, or referring to Jesus, then it brings a whole new perspective to this psalm. Might we see references to Jesus, not just at the end, but also through the psalm? Verses 23 and 24 were certainly true of Jesus. His days were cut short in the midst of his life. He pleaded with his father, with God his father, at his cup, as he called his suffering and death, to come. He pleaded in the in the Garden of Gethsemane, that that might be taken away from him. If any man felt afflicted and was faint, pouring out his lament to God, then Jesus most certainly was. On the cross, Jesus was deserted by God. It wasn't just a feeling, he really was deserted. And he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God the Father really did hide his face from Jesus. And those descriptions of suffering in verses 3 to 11 that we refer to the psalmist, they paint a picture of acute suffering, of loneliness, of ridicule from others, of sorrow, of impending death, and of bearing the wrath of God, even though undeserved. But as we learn elsewhere in Scripture, taken by Jesus so that we could be spared God's wrath. With this reading, some of the middle section also takes on new meaning. After his suffering and death, Jesus was raised, ascended, and now sits enthroned forever. That was all a long way off when the psalm was written, but God did arise, God did arise, God did, the appointed time did come. He did arise, have compassion on Zion, his people. Not fully realized yet, but one day the nations will fear the name of the Lord. All kings of the earth will revere his glory. Even today, the peoples and the, king and the kingdoms do assemble to worship the Lord, and how much greater that will be at the end of time. The letter to the Hebrews, again, indirectly refers back to verse 27. Verse 27 of the psalm says, but you remain the same and your years will never end. Hebrews 13, verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And knowing all about this, about, sorry, and knowing all this about Jesus helps us to be confident in the promise of verse 28. So verse 28 we read, finally, the children of your servants will live in your presence. Their descendants will be established before you. So as we, um, as we conclude, let's just turn again to, or you don't need to turn to it, I'm just going to turn again to Hebrews and just to read a couple of verses there from Hebrews for some encouragement as we continue to struggle with the spiritual desertion that may affect us at certain times of our lives. So Hebrews chapter 2 verse 18, 
because he himself, talking of Jesus, because Jesus himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And chapter 4, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. What are those verses saying to us? They're saying Jesus understands. He's been there. He more than we can ever know, he fully knows what it means to be separated from God the Father. And if we sometimes, if that sometimes happens to us or to some of us, then that may give us a tiny glimpse into his suffering for us. So I'm just going to conclude with that verse 16 from Hebrews 4 again. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this psalm, and as we reflect on it, it may affect us in different ways. Perhaps there are, in one sense, three groups of us here. There are some of us who, who never doubt, or rarely doubt, or certainly don't have terrible experiences of real spiritual desertion. But we pray that as we think about this subject, you'd help us to know how wisely and best to help others. And then for those amongst us, those of us who do um, experience this sometimes, who sometimes do think that you are great, really distant from us, perhaps we can be encouraged by some words of Spurgeon, who said, our Lord favors us with a famine in the land that it may make us seek after himself the more. It may be, Lord, that you allow us to feel your absence so that we hunger and thirst for you, and thirst for you, the giver, more than for gifts. Please help us and help us to keep trusting in you and to keep trying to remember even though it's hard when those times come. And then perhaps a third group amongst us, maybe some of us have never even known God's nearness in the first place. And so Heavenly Father, we pray that as if that applies to us, that we may think about this psalm and think again about, particularly about what it says about God having compassion on us and Jesus suffering indescribably for us. And may it help us to turn to you. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.